Hey everyone, wanna let everyone know some classes that we have coming up. We're gonna be at the TACOPS Tactical Conference in Nashville, August 22nd to the 25th. If you're gonna be there, make sure you come up, say hi, and attend the class. We've also teamed up with the Savage Training Group to teach our patrol survival tactics class that's gonna be hosted by the Santa Clara Police Department September 18th of this year. Go to savagetraininggroup.com and get signed up before the seats sell out. We are very excited to bring on our next guest, on today's show, this officer responded to an active shooter event May 26th of 2021 at the VTA bus yard in San Jose. At 6.30 a.m., this officer showed up to work and little did he know he would be responding to the biggest call of his career. We have him in studio to give you a firsthand account of how that incident occurred. Door right by us. Oh, shit. Eddie, welcome. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for taking the time to drive all the way up here and, and hang out with us today in studio. We appreciate it. Oh, um, cool. It's nice to be here. Thanks. Can you give everybody a breakdown of who you are, how long you've been a cop, some of the assignments you've held, and uh, we'll kick this off. Uh, cool. Uh, Eddie Chan. I've been a uh, police officer for 29 years. This December will be 30. Nice. Uh, sergeant with San Jose PD. My assignments have been FTO, motors, SWAT, uh, air support. Nice. Cool. Air support, really? Yeah, it didn't go so well. That's why it was. <laughs> That's funny. In San Jose PD, state of California, right? Yes. All right. How, nice. Real quick, tell the viewers, uh, for folks that aren't in California, how big San Jose? Uh, San Jose is approximately 190 square miles, a million plus people. So it's huge. It's urban sprawl. That's actually, just, actually, wow. bigger, that's actually bigger than I thought it was. How many cops are on your department? Oh, you're going to love this. Uh, about 1,200. Well, how many are supposed to be on the department? Yeah, that's not. Oh, well, we used to have 1,400 when I started. Yeah, so. And we were, we were down then. The, the uh, chief's plan was to add 500 on top of the 1,400 we had. Wow. And instead, uh, they passed pension reform, and then we lost 400. So yeah, so started. like everyone, short-staffed. Yes. Cool. Hey, before we start, we do have a gift for you. Oh, very uh, good. Other than the gift that we've already provided. Like it. <laughs> um, your current assignment right now is a, is a motor cop, correct? Motor, motor sergeant. sergeant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. After 13 same, years, same I finally thing, no, made right? Same thing. Yeah. yeah. You're on a yeah. motorcycle. Cool. All right. So we got the perfect gift for you. Okay. Cool. All right. All right. <laughs> so this coveted hat yeah. and apparel was created by our good friend, Mike, who is a cop here locally, came up with the concept of lazy motor cop. <laughs> <laughs> like, so we would like I to like gift it. you with a lazy motor cop hat. Uh, we got some stickers that we can give you. And if you don't mind telling everybody the logo. Uh, yeah. So instead of the, uh, <laughs> well, the history of the logo is uh, the, the, you have the motor wheel that signified. Uh, Show the camera. There you go. It represented uh, the motorcycle. Then the wings, uh, we were rapid. And there should be an arrow in there about uh, we are precision shots and all about precision and discipline. So I, I see a, a flat tire. <laughs> only on the bottom though, right? It's only flat. Yeah, on the yeah. With, uh, with uh, the wings a little unkempt, maybe a disheveled, rough night. Yeah. yeah, a little disheveled. <laughs> and the uh, lazy motor. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's good. What is it? Uh, art imitates life. Yeah. Maybe. So, <laughs> so yeah. that is yours now to, okay. to keep. All right. So wear that proud. I will. I will. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Welcome, All right. Eddie. Yeah, yeah, welcome, man. Um, <laughs> hey, so we uh, have some awesome topics to talk about today. Uh, we haven't had anybody in here that's actually been involved in an active shooter incident. You have. Let's talk about that. Uh, May 26th. May 26th. Yeah. Of 2021. Yes. Okay. At the VTA bus station in San Jose. That's correct. 634 in the morning. You show up for work and you guys get dispatched to an active shooter. Yeah, it kind of went like that. Go ahead and tell everybody yeah, how that went down and what happened. Well, let's start the night before. I was held over till midnight the night before. Perfect. Right? Oh, wow. <laughs> because of short staffing. Yeah, right? I was going to say, okay. so that, that falls in line. That's accurate. Yeah, so I held over till midnight, uh, got home. My whole plan was, full disclosure, is uh, I was going to call in sick the next day. Because Ooh. I was only running on three hours sleep on top of that. Wow. So um, I have this character flaw. Uh, at the time, my current assignment was field training sergeant, and I believe I had about five recruits on the team. Uh, two were struggling, so uh, we, they were in remedial at that point. So I kind of like to oversee that. Uh, they weren't one of those, uh, hey, they're not going to make it. I thought, you know, this could be one or the other. So hmm. 
my alarm went off at 3 a.m. and that was my cue to get on the computer and put myself out. But I told myself if I got to the bottom of the stairs and if I turn left, I'm going to be sick. And if I go right, <laughs> I'm out the door. And that last foot hit the floor and I turned right. And wow. that was it. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So uh, because of Bay Area traffic, I like to get in the office a little early. So the shift starts at uh, 6 o'clock. So uh, for the city of San Jose, I am the early sergeant. So they have a few sergeants that will cover the overlap from midnight's the day shift. So they actually go out early. So I try and make it in a little early, usually about 4.30 or 5. I'll pull up DORs from the night before and just kind of check things out, get my coffee. It's kind of a ritual. And I talk to uh, the young lady that works the phones at our uh, phone center. Mm-hmm. So she actually has the watch list from the day before and she knows who was held over who's working that day. So she looks up at me and she goes, weren't you just here? You know, <laughs> I thought for sure you'd put out. And I said, yeah, I, I was, but I figured, yeah, what, what's going to happen today? Right. Yeah. And, uh, and then I paused and I said, but I got a bad feeling about today. Bad feeling about today. She's oh, don't see that. And we just kind of laugh and we, we went about our day. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah, yeah it dude. was, it was. And then there was another officer sitting across from me. He usually gets in, about 5 30 and he's sitting there and he's been 15 years on he has that uh he used to be like really into a gung-ho guy and now 15 years later still is but he's kind of dampening his spirits because of the, the things that were going on then and he looks at me and he's sipping his coffee and he's like bro <laughs> dude don't say that yeah and uh, he ended up being one of the guys that went in with me as well so no kidding yeah wow. we had a good laugh about it after like hey you weren't kidding right wow wow <laughs> that's insane we're gonna dive into the story uh real yeah. quick before we do you are currently an instructor with savage training group um and shout out to scott uh did gift us with a couple of things actually but yeah, i did one of the things he gave us was this awesome sign scott we're gonna find a cool place in the studio to hang this bad boy up thanks scott uh, along with the neon sign that you provided us so thank you make sure you guys head over to savage training group.com get signed up for a host of classes mark and i are teaching a class september 18th again get signed up for that i'm signing up for in that santa one. clara nice. yeah you better yeah. i hope to see yeah. you there yeah. i gotta get with this fto stuff that's my wheelhouse right there nice so let's uh dive dive into this story a little bit so you you arrive at work you're already having this weird feeling you're kind of joking with your buddy who ultimately ends up going to this call with you ironically enough what happens next? So uh, because of COVID, we have the team numbers. So I was team 77, so odd numbers. So this is May 26, so no briefing for me. So I went straight down into my car, had coffee in hand. I found my car. We have this thing where uh, you do the same thing, right? You've been a cop for a long time. You turn on your car and you go through your thing. So I, I turned my car on, uh, turned the computer on, let that boot up. We got this new system, so you have to put your ID card on the computer. So that takes a while to spool mm-hmm. up. And then I hit the radio and then we got these new radios and that takes about 30 seconds to go through its thing. And then right when it kicks in, it kicks into six to eight people shot, mass shooter, VTA light rail. And, and as I'm hearing this, I'm drinking my coffee and it's 634 in the morning. And I'm like, bro, you got three be hours of sleep on three hours of sleep thinking, wow, you know, this is it. Like, you knew it was real. You knew it was a real one because it wasn't, I knew the dispatcher of all the dispatchers up there, and uh, you could tell in the tone of this dispatcher's voice that this is the real deal. Multiple callers on this one. Wow. So I kind of put my coffee down. I look at the, I hit the lineup on who's out there. Mids is rolling in. There's only a few early cars uh, logging on because that's right around the time they logged on. So, uh, and, and just to give you an idea of perspective, the sergeant's garage where we are, it's literally a block and a half, block and a half away. Wow. So, so that, there, right yeah, there. we're there. And uh, it's a sheriff's jurisdiction. So VTA is right next to the sheriff's headquarters. Hmm. And I'm hearing San Jose officers being dispatched. And so I grab the mic and I go, hey, uh, my call sign uh, 6X10, no, 5X10, uh, how many San Jose units, and is there a San Jose supervisor? And the dispatcher replies, uh, five San Jose, no supervisor. And I respond back, well, I guess that's me, so uh, go and show me the route. So off I went, and in about 30 seconds, I land on the corner where I see officers starting to arrive. There was probably two dozen or so already there. Now, these are not officers I've ever worked with either. So... Um, I want to say the tenure of this particular group ranged anywhere from 
There's one or two with about 15 to 20 years on, but most of them had three years or less. Wow. One was an FTO with a recruit 10 weeks into the program. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. So I look at everybody. Everyone's kind of going through their stuff, and uh, I think I told you it didn't take long to get there. But uh, I looked at uh, one specific individual, a face that I recognize, because San Jose is kind of a weird beast. You'll see people. I might work with you for a day. I won't see you for 15 years. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah if like it's that, that big. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and then uh, in this case, I looked, and I'm like, well, I recognize one face. I don't really recognize the others. So I see the one person that I recognize. He's already got his helmet on. He's got his plate carrier, and he's, he's got his rifle. This, this guy, uh, he has probably about 23, 23 years on. I look over at him. I said, hey, Mike, man, you're ready to go? He goes, yeah, I'm ready to go. So I turn, and this is where, you know, you just kind of run with what you know. And I turn around, and I see another sergeant land, and I said, hey, dude, do me a favor. You stay and establish a CP. And I look at this this crowd, and I wasn't sure who was going to go with. I mean, you don't have that luxury on, like, being on a tax team. Yeah. I said, whoever wants to go, it's, it's, it's time to go. You need to go. So I want to say six or seven went with me. Um, the radio traffic that's coming out is that the, the shooter is still shooting, and there's another contact team on the other side. We'll call it uh, the C side of the building. So we're on the A side of the front. Okay. And there is a contact team. We'll call them contact team one. That consisted of the FTO, a recruit, another officer with about two years on and then two deputy sheriffs, one being a sergeant that was, uh, I believe he was on their CERT team, Santa Clara County CERT, their SWAT team. So they put out that they were up on the exterior ladder well going up to the third floor and that they were going to try and access from up there. So I put out that we were going to access the building from the ground floor and then hopefully we're going to cross paths. But my concern there is uh, blue on blue. This facility is huge. Imagine, imagine an Amazon warehouse. That's this place houses trains. Oh um, wow! Yeah, it's it's huge. I yeah, mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm curious, real quick. How did you guys know where to make entry? And then, did you guys know roughly where the shooter was, or were you guys just guessing? And you guys were just making entry through wild ass guess, man. A wild ass guess. Yeah. This I so I'd worked and lived in the city my whole life. I had never been in front of this building before. It's hmm. kind of tucked away. I didn't realize the scope of how big it was. Uh, we didn't know the layout. We'd never been in there. There was um, information that the shooter was moving from one building to another. So one building, he had just got done shooting at least four people, four to five people. And he was making his way to the current building. So contact team one, the San Jose officer, Jeff, he says, uh, latest information is he's in building a and i look up and <laughs> lo and behold i'm staring at this letter a that's about you know six feet tall painted on the building so i'm like all right well bingo there i see people running out there's employees that have run out but they're still kind of on the inner perimeter looking back like worried for their co-workers yeah and uh, we're asking hey by this time we believe we know who it is, some uh, by name, a disgruntled employee, because they recognized this person. Uh, that morning, there was a union meeting, and in Building B, that's where this meeting was. The shooter actually went into that meeting and started cutting loose right there. He knew that... There, he knew the meeting was happening. It was happening yeah. before shift. So uh, I go up to one of the employees, and you know, I, I asked, hey, where did you see this person last? And he says, I think he's in Building A. He's, he's in Bill May. He's wearing coveralls. He's got the fluorescent gear. Well, everyone at BTA is wearing coveralls with the <laughs> fluorescent yeah. gear. Don't know what yeah, it looks like. standard uniform. Yeah. But uh, so you knew if people were running out um, and we could hear gunfire that he's still inside. So um, I look over. I have my team together, and I look over to my right, and about 100 yards away from me is a sheriff's team, a contact team. So we'll call them contact team three. They were behind a train, and, and really this is kind of one of those two agencies, big building. We'd never, we'd never done anything like this before. We'd, I hadn't trained with the SL, like ever. Uh, the last active shooter training that we had that was uh, allied agency was when I was with the Milpitas SWAT team in 1999. It's 
Wow. That was yeah. the last time. So comms were, were very bad. Um, radio traffic was going, everyone's jumping on the air. And really my main concern was I knew contact team one was inside. We were going to be two and that there was a third one. And there was more than enough space in there for all three of us to be in there. So blue on blue or blue on tan, um, that's what I didn't want. So I saw an open bay door and getting back to your question, which doors do you go into? Whichever ones are open. So SO's looking straight at an open bay door. Um, I see an employee coming out of just a regular door and I see to the right a little electronic key card reader. So I knew off the bat that we were gonna probably need that uh, to get inside as well as maybe you might need that to get into interior doors on the interior, Yep, which turned out to be true. So this one employee runs out, we grab his key card, uh, our team makes our way to a door that was probably about 300 feet away from that open bay. Uh, we coordinated with the SO team and we hit both. They hit the bay, we hit the door simultaneously and we went in. Um, it's funny, so uh, you pull a door open and you expect to see something and then you're looking at a wall. And that particular door was configured where you walk straight into basically a room about the size of your studio and then it just branches left and then you, it opens up into the bay. So we fly the door, uh, we make entry, and again, these are people that were not on a SWAT team. We have never trained together. You just kind of run what you brung, if yeah. you will. Yeah. And it actually worked out pretty well. I mean, everyone just kind of fit into a place. There was no real, you know, we had the rifle up front, and I was up front. Um, and outside of that, I just said, hey, just eyes open, head on a swivel. Mm -hmm. We look into the warehouse. It's dark. There's multiple trains. It's multiple levels. And it's it's like a scene out of um, Call of Duty, like a level of Call of Duty where you're looking and you go, all right, the first thing that goes to your mind is how long has this dude been planning this? Yeah. Yeah. How many nests does he have? Is he elevated? Yeah. You know, we're, you know, you don't want to stay in the fatal funnel, which we weren't, but, you know, we're on the ground floor and, you know, we were at a very, uh, in a bad position where. Super disadvantaged. Yeah. Anywhere in that warehouse, this guy could have taken all of us yeah. if he wanted to. So while it's pretty chaotic, while this is going on, the first thing I'm looking for is any, any uh, stimuli, if, if you will. So I can smell it. I can smell the gun, the gunfire. I can smell gunpowder. So I know it's close. I don't hear any screaming. I don't see bodies down on the, on the ground floor. Dispatch is putting out conflicting information saying shooters down on the, on the first floor. He's 10 by 5. Hmm. On which the first floor, which means he's he's gone. For, for those of you that that don't know, yeah. So I'm looking on all around, and everywhere I see, I don't hear anybody. So whoever's there is either already deceased or they're hiding. I don't see a shooter. I don't hear a shooter. So bad information. Um, I didn't have time to get on the air to say negative. That's because uh, contact team one says we hear we hear shooting upstairs. So it, it being dark. This huge warehouse, I, I told the team, I said, run the wall, run the wall until we find the staircase. So we didn't have to go too far. I want to say it was probably about 75 feet of wall. So we ran the wall like rats, which is another bad place to be. Yeah. Just trying to find a staircase. So we find the staircase, and then that's where we end up uh, meeting contact team three. They had just made their way to that point. And uh, Mike, the guy with the AR that was our point, I got to hand it to him. You know, fearless, man. That guy ran right past these guys, didn't even hesitate, up the stairwell. And uh, for me, you know, my prior SWAT training is you don't just run up the stairs. You, you just kind of, like, look straight up, and someone's got to cover high while the rest of Well, so I do that, and out of the corner of my eye, I see Mike just rip right up the stairs. And uh, what I didn't hear and what I didn't see was there was an employee that was hanging over the third uh, the third floor uh, landing, and he had his both his hands extended. And this is this is uh, what Mike told me: both his hands extended, saying, "Hey, I'm not the bad guy, but he's up here. I'll show you where he's at." So that's what Mike saw when he initially went in. So he got a good a good flight of stairs ahead of me, and the rest of the team was bottled up on me. And so I, I just dropped my weapon. I said, "Let's go. It's time to go." So we start like literally sprinting up the stairs. Um, I'm carrying my uh, 870 that I purchased back in 1986. <laughs> but uh, it's only the shell. I got the Van Comp barrel, and, you know, yeah. and I'm thinking, okay, so I, I got the side saddle, I got Van Comp, I got my lighting, 
I got a ghost ring. I don't like the ghost ring in the dark. And now I'm now I'm reassessing. Do I just transition to my pistol at this time? But I said, all right, I'll you know we gotta have long nuts on front. But uh, as I'm running up the stairs, of course, when you're running as fast as you can, guess what goes flying out of my hand? Out goes the shotgun and uh, midair. They tell you not to grab it, so uh, I decide to actually let it hit the deck first. That simultaneously, as I pick it up and without lo- losing a stride, and I felt a hand behind me actually keep me from hitting the ground or hitting the stairs. And that was actually very helpful because without breaking stride, I was able to make it up. And nice. After watching some footage, I guess the same thing happened to someone back in the, <laughs> in really? the back. This dude was running, and he hits the stairs. He goes flying, and someone grabs that person. Wow. So the momentum was good. Uh, we get up on the third deck, and it's a smaller workspace. And uh, this employee, he's a hero, total hero. He stayed up there knowing this guy, totally cut loose. He's armed himself with a wrench. He's <laughs> standing oh, up there with a wrench. Well, good and, for him. And yeah, and he's like, hey, man, he's, he, he's down there. And so, like, of course, what goes to your mind is, all right, this guy hasn't, is he rendered safe? I, I don't know. We don't know if there's one shooter working in conjunction with someone else. But uh, you just kind of got that urgency that, you know, th- this guy's telling the truth. You have to run with your gut. So he takes us to uh, a set of double doors. So this double doors goes into a long hallway that ends in a T. And he points his head. He actually points his head in there. And he goes, I think he's, I think he's down there. And all of a sudden, you hear, we hear a shooting. And so, you know, when you think, like, things can't get worse. So uh, going back to how this story started, hey, I got a bad feeling about today. Oh, man. Then you're sitting in the car, hey, six to eight people shot. Then you land at, you know, at the rally point. And you go, I don't recognize anybody. And then you hit the building, and it's all dark, and you're like, oh, dude, this isn't good. Now, it's like worst case yeah. scenario. And it just keeps getting worse and worse because now it's a hallway that's only about, I don't know what the standard is. I'll just say eight feet. Yeah. Eight feet. And we look down, and so now uh, I'm looking down this hallway. It's probably about 75 feet long. terminates in a T. The, the employee did say, hey, I think he's down there. Um, so at the end of the hallway, if you go right, is the control room. And that's where contact team one ended up. So backing up, while we made our way up through this uh, staircase and into this hallway, contact team one went up their exterior stairwell. They run into an employee who happened to just open the door, and it was fortuitous that he did that because they wouldn't have been able to get in. So that's the control center for the entire place. So uh, that employee that ran out, his brother actually works for us as an officer. No kidding. And so they, they look at him, and he goes, yeah, he's, he's back in there. So they clear this control room. So they're inside this control room while we're entering the hallway. If you turn left opposite of the control room, that is um, another office. And outside of that office, there's a little table, and that's where the shooter was. The shooter was waiting right there. So um, we hear some more rounds. Door right I don't know they're in that control room yet. And when I'm looking down the hallway, I'm just going off of what I know. I see double doors, double door, double door. So three sets of double doors. So that tells me there's probably a, a, a warehouse storeroom to the left. It's probably big. So the last shots I heard, um, we, my whole team, we ended up in that hallway, which is another shitty place to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, oh, dude, again, gets worse. And so um, I'm trying to make the, de- the determination, is this sound coming from an adjacent room that's wrapping around? Or is it coming from the end of the hallway? And so that was one of those, well, don't, you can't, don't be wrong, just, just pick, don't, don't think, just do. So um, we see a door, and we boot the first door to our left. We, first, first we try it, then we boot it, and it's barricaded. Hmm. So we knew it was barricaded, and, I, and uh, if it's barricaded, that means someone inside barricaded it. Yeah, and, uh, Smart. More, yeah more than likely, part, yeah. probably survivors, right? So yeah. uh, Mike goes in there, uh, he identifies himself, and, and while this is going on, the radios are really, really loud. No earpieces or anything like that. And uh, he calls out. He hears people inside. He goes, yeah, we got, we got survivors inside. As we're addressing that, now we hear more shots at the end of the hallway. So now we know he's at the end of the hallway. So uh, we advance at, at the hallway, and then we kind of stop because it was just two shots. It was boom, and then boom. And uh, ultimately, what that ended up being was the shooter was right around the corner. And he, I'm just, this is just me 
thinking that he heard us. He, there's no way he didn't hear us. Yeah. Um, he took a shot, actually, at he saw the illumination inside the control room mm. because he took a shot at the control room. And apparently that's key card access only that only management has. So he didn't have the key card, so he just took a shot there. We were at the other end of the hallway, and then apparently there was a sheriff's team waiting at the bottom of that stairwell. They didn't come up. So it was kind of checkmate on his part. Yeah, so he was caught. I mean, he wasn't he was going caught. anywhere. So that first shot um, was a hesitation shot, and the second shot was, was the final shot. But he was, he was still um, unconscious but breathing when we reached him. So he shot himself. Shot himself, yeah. So we make our way down the hallway. We see illumination uh, coming from the right, which... I know is law enforcement, right? We have the, you know, the 1800 lumen. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air. I'm like, okay, yeah. good. All right. Now I like, I felt like I could coast just a little bit. So there was no coasting. I'm now just keep, take a breather. And then I see uh, part of a face peek up behind the wall that I recognize as, as a law enforcement. And so I said, okay, good. So now we can go methodical and uh, we round the corner and the shooter uh, um, in the table, uh, gun in hand, gun on the floor, Backpack full of rounds. He had a, a duty belt on. Mags wrapped all around his body. Uh, ended up having a pistol in a, in the small of his back and holster in the small of his back. Pull that stairwell. 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 Pull that stairwell. Top side's clear. Okay, you hold this. Yeah. You're no, hold on this. Oh, the gun. I see the gun in his hand. Okay. Okay. Stand by. Stand by. Yep. Let's just clear it off. Yep. Hold this. Hold this. Cover. I'm gonna hold the body of the gun. You hold it. Uh, I got, I got hey, I got, so, I got somebody down here. Get the gun. Get the gun. Hey, can you hear me? Um, we had uh, contact team on standby him, and we ended up going into the office that he had. Uh, he just got done shooting uh, three, killed three people in there. And there was a fourth survivor. Um, we're, we clear that uh, one of the survivors on the ground was still conscious, still breathing. Um, each, each of the victims... It appeared to me it took a magazine to the face. I mean, there was, uh, I, I called it severe animus. I mean, this guy clearly was angry, right? So wow. everyone looked like they had a mag dump in their face. Um, we cleared that office, and then there's one sub-office inside that was still locked from the inside. So um, going back, remember the sergeant that I told you, hey, man, uh, establish the yeah. CP? Well, it turns out he's, he said, you know, F that. He ended up going inside with Not us. Really. So there was no CP. Oh, there was shit. no CP. So this is just run and gun, right? Yeah. So I tell him, um, hey, I'm, I'm going to coordinate a extraction team. We're going to get the survivors out. And because the shooter was still uh, breathing, we're going to bring him out. Um, I need you to clear this office. Someone's in here. It turns out there was a, another uh, survivor inside there. And she was pushed in there by one of the victims outside. And he said, don't open this door. And he shuts it down. That's when the shooter went in and finished all of them. So did wow. that? So did that guy make it, or he didn't make it? He didn't make it. He didn't make oh, it. More, more on that. Her. He saved her. Saved wow. her. So now um, I can feel things are kind of going static because I don't hear any more shooting. I'm pretty confident that this is the only suspect. There was no additional information that went out. Um, contact team one. They said, "Hey, he's he's still he's still alive." So I put my supervisor hat on. I look over at the. Uh, Contact team one had that sheriff's sergeant. He's already on the phone. He's doing his thing, so I figured I would just help out. And I said, hey, um, just give me a warm zone. We'll start doing extra do the extraction. So I coordinated. Uh, San Jose pulled out the suspect. Sheriffs were waiting for him downstairs. And then uh, we pulled out the victim that was inside. So uh, down the stairs, out to the area. So this is the important part. So we get to um, just outside the building. And I don't see fire. And I heard somebody say the scene is secure for fire. And I look up the road, and about, I'm going to say, 500 yards, I can see the trucks. And they're not moving. So I run up there with uh, the officer in the morning in the, in the office and said, hey, let, let's go get him. So we run up there, and we contact the fire. and said, hey, dude, <laughs> we got a victim in there. Uh, he's waiting for you. He goes, we can't go in. I said, why can't you go in? He goes, no established ICS yet. I'm like, oh, okay, so rescue task force, mm -hmm. all of that. So fire is very, very methodical, and so they don't just go in. That's not what they do. Um, that was on the after-action report. So um, someone needed to stay back and at least initiate ICS and go from here. Unity command, all of that. What, what, do, you, what do you refer to as ICS? Uh, incident command system or incident command management system. 
Um, so that's that's an online class that we all took or should have taken, especially as supervisors, <clears throat> after 9-11. So post 9-11, uh, we we're all required to take this uh, from uh, the national, is it NIMS? NIMS, yeah. Yeah, NIMS. So uh, we were told, hey, take it. Um, it comes in a, as a link. Um, I took it. I, uh, I brain dumped it as soon as I was done. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, oh, we're talking, you know, 2010 is when I last took it. So, so is that when, you, yeah. when you're saying, when you initially arrived on scene, you set the team up and then you're, you told the other sergeant, hey, Set an ICS. That's the command center you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I said it, we got to have a command post. Get get the CP ready because I knew that command from both both agencies were going to land, and then everyone should jump off from there. So uh, the layout and that didn't happen. That did not happen initially. It it probably took. I'm thinking back. I actually, as I was working with the extraction, I didn't hear anyone put out a CP, so I. I believe I asked, if not, I said set one up in the parking lot. So the way the building, there's the building, and then there's the county parking lot that's probably uh, where the fire trucks were staged, about 500 yards out. It was not too far away from the initial spot that I landed on with with the officers. So um, right around then, I'm going to say I heard a command officer actually say, we have the CP set up at this location. Okay, cool. So uh, once that was done, now rescue task force teams are now now forming. Now I can see them. Which, which so everybody knows, uh, for the rescue task force teams, <clears throat> they require, I think, three minimum three to four cops per rescue task force. So per engine company, right. you have to have three or four cops to escort them into the warm zone right? to even attend to the victims. That's, that's I think, the, the huge takeaway is, um, and, and I'm not trying to speak for you or what anybody did. I'm just trying to kind of describe to everybody listening. If something like that kicks off and you want the fire or medics to come in, they're not, like you said, they're not going to come in. So you have to establish the RTF and then that's just going to be at least three to four cops have to escort the fire guys or paramedics into the warm zone. Right. Right. And that was the whole reason they didn't go. So once it was initiated, now assets are flowing in. Now we're seeing trucks. Now I'm seeing, you know, rescue task force one, two, three, four, and five. I mean, it's, it's all getting there. Which that's frustrating yeah. to me with the discipline and stuff because you're you're making that contact team you, you've signed positions and you're at that point you're assuming that people are doing what is being needed and then that person decides to act independently which I mean active shooter is completely different but that in your mind you're thinking that yeah that's this is getting set up yeah the, you know um, I think that attitude at the time was the size of the building and the discussions that happened after is you need all I'm not, hands. we need all hands, all hands on yeah. deck. That, that, yeah, that, w- that was kind of the mindset. I mean, that's a massive um, problem to deal with yeah. a, a building of that size. Yeah. That's a huge yeah. problem. Yeah. It, it, it was, uh, to say it was daunting would be an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine it's tough too. You know, like Mark and I talk a lot, you know, especially when we teach is like, when you get 50 cops that show up to something and you're going to, especially in a city environment, you're going right. to get 50, a hundred cops quickly. Right. And the, the problem with that is then you're going to get 50 to hundred independent thinkers that I think that's where stuff becomes a little dangerous for, for a cops because now you have a bunch of individuals doing what they, you think they want to do. And so that is the importance of establishing command posts and, and setting that stuff up. And so that, those kinds of things don't happen and it's more controlled, but in this case, it just seems it's so rapidly evolving. This place is so big yeah. that it's like anyone that's available, all hands on deck to make entry, to locate and um, find this person. Right, the problem. right, right, right. So uh, we uh, ran up, said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll be your scene security. We, we have an actual survivor in here. So the fire rig whoever the engineer was, he goes, uh, yeah, okay, you're jump on back. And so this guy starts tearing off. And so we're hanging off the back of the fire rig. And uh, now officers are trying to run and jump on, on the back. And I'm like, no, 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 no don't, don't do that. Um, I'm dating myself. So uh, that, that sitcom back in the 80s, what's happening? With, uh, with, with uh, the, you are dating oh, yourself. Yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, like, so. You're 60 what? Um, no, nah, we just, <laughs> we, we give him a hard time. He just looks super old, Bazant. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this one officer, she's running and I mean, she's full sprint and you, you can see like the separation starting oh, and no. she's just about to go. And she's like, wait. I, I stiff armed her helmet <laughs> oh. <laughs> just to save her. But I mean, she was going to take that leap into nothing is what it was because the truck was actually going up. So the truck lands. 
Um, a victim uh, finally gets uh, tended to, and the suspect actually contact team one decided to throw him on the hood of a explorer and drive him out. So, um, in an attempt to save him, that's what you mean. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, render aid, right? Yeah. So uh, he wouldn't fit in the back, and so they decided to throw him on the hood because he's pretty, pretty uh, substantial sized gentleman. So uh, they get him on the hood. Car takes off, um, and then at some point he comes off the hood uh, at the rally point where we were, and uh, to which he became, you know, part of the crime scene at that point. So um, we went back, we started doing the the methodical search, and probably about halfway through, I was with uh, Rescue Task Force Four, and then I kind of like had to sit there, and, and I started seeing guys that worked for me. So my team actually, uh, I didn't see any of them until the end everyone was doing their own thing and so i see one guy on my team i say oh hey dude you know good good to see that you made it <laughs> yeah was, he was, yeah sorry sarge you know I, I was loading up and i heard it and i just shut the trunk and, and came over here but uh i said i think i'm gonna i'm gonna pop smoke i'm out i think i'm out so uh, i went back because i didn't know where these contact teams were what they were doing um, i didn't get a lot of information coming over the radio over where they were i knew where the cp was yeah. so was like it was very important to me to keep the because we're we're gonna have to give statements and everything, so it was very important for me to keep at least my team together. So my team it was uh, myself and uh, seven others, more or less, and then I knew the San Jose personnel on on team one, and then team three was all SO, so they could take care of that. But I I figured okay, I'll, let me try and get those people together. So uh, we rallied back up at the command post, uh, sigh of relief, no one was hurt. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, man, this could have gone so wrong in so many different directions at, at any, any point in time on that timeline. But to give you an idea, from the time we landed to the time we made contact, three minutes and 47 seconds. Shit. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, they say the, statistically, what is it, like for the, from the time the first shot's fired on and an active shooter event to the last shot fired is like one to five minutes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So that, I mean, damn. It, it was really quick. But it didn't seem quick. It seemed like an eternity. Oh, yeah. uh, when we actually uh, pulled the camera out just to watch the timing of everything, yeah, it was three three minutes forty seven seconds. Jeez. So that was that was pretty fast. That's impressive yeah. for you guys to land, get going, establish your teams, and go in there. I yeah. mean, that's impressive yeah. in a building that size. I mean, yeah, that's a daunting task. I, yeah, I'm curious. I want to ask about your mindset. So when you when you arrive on scene, and you when you're with the other officers, and then you're like, hey whoever's coming with me, like we're going, like what is going through your mind? Like prior training or like family, or I should have called in sick, or I didn't think this happened in my city. Like what's going, what is your mind thinking? All of that. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's funny. So, uh, so I really had to reflect back on that. I'm like, okay, so, cause I want to pass it on to whoever else could use it. Yeah. Cause it doesn't happen every day in our jurisdiction at least, but it seems to happen a lot around the country. So, for me, what was going on first was, okay, for about like a, a second, you go, oh, dude, really? Like that? And then it's, okay, so what needs to get done? Who's here? And I'm, and I'm looking, I'm going, I, I don't know the expertise level. So, you know, unlike being on a team where you know, you know, who's the long gun and who, I don't know. So that's why I just said, hey, you know, and I could see, you know, people almost like in disbelief. Like they're there, but like, oh, like they're thinking, they're still on that, oh, dude. They're at that phase. So yeah. that's where I go, hey, I, I don't know who's where, but I know that whoever wants to go is going to go. And, yeah. and so I said, hey, whoever's going to come, let's go. And so I know um, of that group that was there, which was more than seven, it was seven, seven that went. I, w- I would surmise, you know, over a dozen, maybe two dozen, and people are still filling in. But um, Wow, good for, yeah. good for you for making that call, having that courage to be the first to go, and then all those other those ones that went with you. Yeah, I mean, and, to, yeah. and to ask, hey, who, who's willing to go? Because really, you, you could be walking to your, into your death. Yeah, well, I, mean, I figured whoever wants to go, on one, they, they're, they're already go. set. They've already done something in their mind that, okay, I'm going to go. Um, yeah. So once you go, then it's, I didn't even look behind me until we ended up in that hallway. And I was like, oh, boy. So um, very young. Um, some... Uh, uh, somewhere you like, uh, they might have had a reputation for not being the most aggressive during Red Man in the academy. Um, 
But it, I, I thought, huh, you know, it's really funny as these other thoughts are going through my mind. Well, courage comes in all shapes and forms. Yeah. You know, it's like it, it does. You don't have to be. How about this? I didn't see any uh, operators there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were no operators there. So yeah. um, so then it's uh, prior training going off of that. Um, I use a lot of the concepts, actually, and it's kind of a plug for Savage. Um, before I even started teaching for Savage, they have this thing, uh, what's important now, what's important next? And, and, yeah. and, and we took it from somewhere else. But really, the mindset is what I need to get done now. Mm-hmm. Not, um, okay, these are the, you know, these are four or five different things. What do I need to get done, like, right now? And what kind of information is being put out? Um, and of all the things that can go wrong, which is everything, you know, how can I still, you know, lead this team to success, right? And we really kind of feed off each other. Um, when we spoke to each other after, it was, you could really categorize people in general as uh, into three bins. You have those that will just do regardless. It doesn't matter what the odds are. doesn't matter uh, what the training is. They're just going to go ahead and do it. Um, we'll just call that the 10%. Then you have like that, that bell curve, the big part of the bell curve where, where they're going to go yeah. no matter what, but... Uh, they need some kind of catalyst. Someone has to go, hey, let's, let's go. And I would say that's the vast majority. Vast majority that are out there. And then there's like that little part at the tail end, you know, that, that, where they're like, oh, I think I'm going to take the traffic control spot, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's reality. You know, that's not... Yeah. Not everyone's going. Yeah, not everyone's going to go. Um, mentally, they're, they might not be ready. They might not have had that discussion with themselves. You know? yeah. so, so fortunately, uh, that was just one of those incidents. Uh, the sergeant in charge of our training unit did the whole review did a fantastic job, and he just said, you know what? I mean, you guys, he gave us a grade. He was like, give you guys a B plus. <laughs> You're all, thank you. He goes, oh, and passed. don't get me wrong, for being impromptu, uh, for not having ever worked together, and for having something of this magnitude, that's a good grade. He goes, you know, the AA plus goes to, like, we rehearsed it oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. Uh, we all worked together. We got all our equipment, you know, so he goes, uh, and we were very lucky on top of that, very lucky. B plus for a pop quiz. Yeah, That's pop quiz. Yeah. Hey. In a subject hey, that you don't, you've never taken before. C's get degrees, man. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many people uh, ended up dying in that event? Ooh, let's see. At least nine. At least wow. nine. I want to. I want to say ten or eleven for at least nine, and that was in a short span. Short span. It, it devastated that crew, that whole VTA crew there. Um, I ended up making contact with that gentleman that was up on on the third rail. I said. Uh, Interesting history. A former Marine, um, uh, he described himself like his whole life. Uh, he was surprised that I called because it was months after. I said, hey, I want to nominate you for the Citizen Award um, where, where you save lives by doing that. And he goes, oh, it's about, you know, it's about time I never got recognized for anything in my whole life. <laughs> Goddamn Marine. Yeah, yeah, Marine. I said, hey, man. You, you, yeah, so, I, oh, I was a Marine too. Okay, so we started talking. We started laughing. I said, it, doesn't it always work out that way? You know, you, you show up for work every day. And, you know, you just, you do your thing, you do your 15, 20, 30 years, whatever, and you go home. But uh, he was very thankful about that. But I said, hey, you know, what was going through your mind on, on that day? And he goes, well, you know, there was one, uh, I, I don't remember the name that he threw out there, but the, the old lady that works on the floor, I didn't see her. Like, he heard the shooting, and he looks out, and he goes, uh, I didn't see her. So I, I thought I'd stay back and see where she was at. I never did find her. I, I don't know if she, she, she definitely was not one of the ones that was a victim. But I don't know if she was already out of the building. Mm, Maybe she looking out for her. Yeah, he was looking out for her. Maybe she had a you know some uh, some quick legs that morning and made out the building before him. But I asked, hey, how's everyone doing? And he goes, it wrecked all of us, man. He said, uh, uh, a few months after that, I get a call. So I'm in Southern Division. So I'm in the southern part of the city. So operations for VTA moved to their secondary facility. So we get a call of a dude sleeping inside the car, and it was actually an employee that was there that day that killed himself. Months after, so I had his little note. Hey, apologize to you know my coworkers. Apologize to my family. You know, I wish I could have done more. And you know, he ate his gun right there in the street. And you know, a few months after, so that uh, yeah, that was pretty sad. That was a sad thing. So. Yeah, all, all suicides are are very sad. Yeah, yeah. But well, you, uh, you just and your, shows, it shows how much that affected the yeah. employees. I mean, well, you yeah. and your team and all those responding officers that went in. I mean, hands down to you, absolute. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be honest. I uh, obviously before I knew you, I watched that video when it when it first came out, and I don't remember where I was, but I either showed it in my briefing or in a class that I was teaching. I can't remember, but I remember watching that video and thinking, "These guys fucking nailed it!" Like I thought, I thought you guys did a great job. 
uh, like I said, not even knowing you uh, at the time, um, just watching the body cam footage of it, and we'll play some of the snippets on the podcast. I thought everyone did a great job. I no, thanks. Was, yeah, yeah, well they were executed. great. Yeah. For the for the as large scale of an event that was the size of the building, not knowing where this guy was, having multiple contact teams, listening to the to the uh, body cam footage of some of the officers that they showed, I just thought everybody did a great job, and I, I was like, man, this is this is like the active shooter body cam footage that you want to show like everybody. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's how well I thought it was. I was ready to buy a lottery ticket. I couldn't believe no one, you know, no one on our side got hurt. You know, you yeah. Know, and I was going to ask you that. Did, was there ever a point in time that you thought you were going to be killed? Oh, absolutely. For a second, I landed. Yeah. <laughs> I said, "Oh, this is this is this is one of those uh, discussions that you maybe have." I think over the course of your career, where you go, "All right, if if this were to happen, could I do this?" So that that already taken place, but. Um, I actually was the family liaison for uh, one of our officers that was shot and killed in 2015. And I completed what uh, we call it at our agency, the uh, emergency protocol. So we try to give it to the recruits when they finish the academy. We'll go to a briefing. The POA uh, offers it. So this is kind of like you kind of getting your affairs in order. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I didn't have one um, until I was the family liaison. So I wanted to make it easy really for any line of duty death, which is difficult. Someone has to run with it. Right. Um, and so while it was still fresh in my mind, I came up with these things. So prior to this incident and after planning that memorial, I actually completed it. So that was, I want to say a thing that you thought about, okay, I think everything, everything's good. I'm good. Yeah. So I think that helps having those conversations, knowing what you're going to do. And it's tough being the supervisor too, because you have these officers that are, you know, three years on, four years on, and uh, they're looking up for someone and you're like, oh, well, you know what? I took the test, <laughs> right? Yeah. I took the test. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it just so happened that, you know, I got a lot of confidence from just knowing people were one willing to go. And then at least having one face that I recognized and uh, I'm not going to call him Tackleberry, but like this, this dude takes classes on his own. He was never part of a team, but like he really takes pride in, in his rifle craft. He takes pride in his tactics. He's been a midnighter. Like the last time I saw him was on mids when I was an officer. And now he's still on mids, you know, just because he, he loves it so much, you know. So uh, very inspirational to me. So, so you kind of feed off each other. But I, I would say that um, things worked out because the right people showed up at the right time with the right mindset. Yeah. Wow. Oh, well, it's, hey, it started when your left foot hit the bottom of the landing <laughs> of your stairs yeah. and your natural pivot yeah. is to the right. To the right. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Because if you, you landed with your right yeah. foot, it's not a natural pivot to the right. It's You're going left. So yeah. your left foot hit the bottom and yeah. that's how it all chain events. And I think a lot of people owe their, their thank you to you. Are you oh, glad nice. you went to work that day after it's all said and done? I think I am. I don't know. I wish I would have prepared more, I think, for me. You know, when you take the tests, when you do um, NIMS, right? So I, I told my guys, I said, hey, you got to take this seriously now. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna, because yeah, we should probably, well, we should take probably this serious, do this. And, and it's funny through the tactics. So, so we started with Diamond, right? Back in the day, yeah, Diamond. Yeah. Then there's Rolling Thunder. Yeah. All that shit goes out the window, man. Yeah. When it's no, real, you're like, hey, we're running a rat line against the wall going, okay, you're not worried about angles. And yeah. it, But when you do do the training, getting back to your original uh, question on what's going through your mind. I, I, I do know, like I take the time to train on my own. You know, I don't wait for training to show up. I don't have to be told to go to training. You know, I, I do take this job, uh, very seriously. And I, I, as, as well as I do want to come home and, and I want to increase my odds of success. I don't want it to be luck. Uh, I'm, I'm a, uh, I used to be a motorcycle instructor for the civilians. And at the same time, I was a motor instructor for our agency. I tell them, Hey, you know, I'm for the civilian side and the newer motor officers, I said, luck is always going to be a factor. And right now for the civilians, right now it's uh, 90% <laughs> for yeah. you. I said, I want you guys to think of, uh, imagine yourself, these uh, sea turtles that hatch and come out of the sand. That's you right now. It's dumb luck whether you come, whether you can make, make it to it the to water, the ocean, yeah. <laughs> let alone come back, right? Yeah. And then uh, for the motor officers after the motor academy, I tell them, hey, that's 50%. So now you know how to ride a bike. But now you got to be a cop on a bike, and now you got to actually do cop on the bike in traffic with these cars that are insulated, Bluetooth music. You know, everyone's in their own, especially the Bay Area. Everyone's in their own little world, right? Yeah. So you know, I always 
tell people, even as an FTO sergeant for my FTOs and recruits, and where I just, I can't preach enough, make luck like 5%, right? Do all you can to, to have skill be a, a greater factor in that. So in this case, it, it's funny, the thought stream that goes down, it's actually, you know, I'm not a, I don't know the physiology behind it, but I, I was thinking of about 10 different things simultaneously. You know, uh, one of those was uh, when I get out of here, I'm going to McDonald's. I'm going to get myself mm -hmm. a quarter pounder with bacon, <laughs> two apple pies. <laughs> uh, nice. The other one was, uh, okay, don't make the wrong call. Don't make the wrong call. Um, the other one was you, you get a heightened sense of uh, visual auditory it's kind of like uh the matrix when neo's looking down at the end of the hallway and you're seeing everything you can see everything it's crazy i think it must be a survival thing that goes back to our, our uh, living out of caves and running from saber tooth totally. cats and totally. so i could actually i can see it now you could see the uh the cracks in the cinder block i could see every little every little thing was there you know and when i said yeah i could smell it you know, I'm sure I could walk in there right now. I probably wouldn't smell a thing. But at the time when it's real, you're smelling it. So, you know, if you are perceiving things or you find yourselves in something like uh, like that or anyone has, they probably understand what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, you will. You know, you, yeah. everything just like goes to the nth degree. Vision, and I'm I'm blind, right? Vision, uh, smell, hearing, like everything comes up. That radio, like I thought it was blurring in my ear, and I only had it on like three. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously that's your brain going into self-survival mode, but you bring up a good point. When you are in a situation like that, you have to pay attention to your environment. Like sense, eye, eyesight, smell, what are you smelling? Um, all super good information to uh, to share with everybody. That's a hell of a story, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's the first time I've ever really heard in depth about that incident, you know? It, oh, it's yeah. pretty fresh. Yeah. I remember when it happened, like I said, I watched the body cam video footage and I thought it was, I was very impressed by it, but hearing first count, it's fucking wild. Yeah. Well, you, you're an inspiration yeah. to have 29 oh, and a half years in law enforcement, to be willing to share your story with us and to, and to share it with everyone about your mindset, to be honest about how your day started, yeah. to show up at to work, all those chain of events that happen and then to be the one that led the team. I mean, that's, that's pure inspiration in, in that the fact that you're still involved in law enforcement and sharing and trying to give back to cops is, is amazing. Wh what are you doing now? What are you doing with Savage? What, what are some of the classes that you're teaching? So I teach the 40 hour FTO basic. I do the FTO update and then I do the FTO supervisor. So FTO is one of those things that for me, like, let's go back to this team three years on, you know, um, one of them actually said, yeah, I, they, they went in because they recognized me as one of the FTO sergeants that they ran across. They never worked for me, but they see me there all the time. As an FTO sergeant, I'm the first one in and I'm the last one out. I turn the lights out, right? Um, so for me, setting that tone, setting that foundation to have the, the tenure that I have and to be able to let people know you know, it doesn't have to, I mean, it's, you're going to have tough days, but yeah. it doesn't have to be a 25-year a grind. You know, it's like a, still a fun job. Um, a lot of changes I got hired on maybe half a year or two years after Rodney King and made it right past George Floyd. And I've seen the changes. I've seen all the things. I've seen the personalities change, someone that comes in, and you can kind of track their progress, especially prior recruits of mine. But progress, not in just their career, but their attitudes and how they are. So that particular officer that I had, uh, I was drinking my coffee with that morning, you know, he's all kind of disjubbled and stuff like that. But, you know, like he wants to, you know, be in the fight, but he's like, he's just beat down from legislation and the news and he just gets wrapped up in this. And, you know, when I'm with an FTO team and with Savage, when I teach a group, I, I tell them this, I said, what, what will keep you healthy mentally, physically really is I had to shift a gear and find that gear, and that was I approach law enforcement policing from a clinical, dispassionate point of view. When I'm at a call, I analyze it. I don't think about the what is, or I just go, hey, what, what is in play? What is not in play? What do I have? And then I just go from there. Do we have to do anything, for example? So to teach that to FTOs and have them teach that to recruits is valuable, really. Because the discussion that we have is all of these incidents that lead to, you know, a nationwide reckoning of policing, it's always patrol cops. 
It's patrol cops, yeah. right? Yeah. So got to get it right. And I tell them, hey, you know, imagine this. Um, you got to bat 1,000 for 30 years. Every day you got to come in. You, you got to hit every single one out of the park. You can't miss. And if you do miss, you know, are you going to be able to recover from that error or not? And, you know, it only takes one. I said, you just never know. Going back to the VTA, I said, the right people at the right time. It, you yeah. know what? Sometimes it's the wrong people. <laughs> At yeah. the wrong time, no, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Wow. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, that. so I try and do that. So for Savage, I do the FTO. They have a whole host of, of classes that take work, working cops that have been very successful in whatever their wheelhouse is, and, and he puts them out there. So I didn't seek that particular job out. They just kind of found me. Um, and I, I think that was about three years ago. And I said, well, you know, this would be a cool thing to do, like, you know, in retirement. And that was kind of my plan. And, you know, that, what's that, that, that run and joke? Hey, you're one bad day away from retirement. I said, dude, yeah. I've had plenty of bad days. Already. Yeah, <laughs> it, doesn't yeah. get, it doesn't get worse than that. Yeah. So, you know, now to be able to, uh, I, I've been in motors for like the last six months. It's kind of how I wanted to go out. I planned that back in 2001 when I lateraled over for my first agency. I said, you know what, I'm going to see if I can finish out of here as a, as a, as a motor officer or a motor sergeant. Um, and so uh, I didn't know that process was going to take 13 years. <laughs> like, well, here like you top, are. Top Gun, just ride a, riding the wheelie into the sunset. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so literally you know, every day I ride in, you know, I because uh, I'm responsible for the training now. So my shift goes from 10 to 8. Um, <clears throat> so my guys are there at 10. I'm usually rolling in around 8 in the morning. And to get to San Jose at 8 in the morning from where I live, I'm leaving at like 6 in the morning because i got a lane split like 50 miles. Jeez. Oh, my God. And, but I'm, I'm loving every second of it, man. You know, nice. I, I'm sitting there, hey, uh, the other day, 69 degrees, sun's barely coming up, got my cool leather jacket going, you know what? This is it. And then you got here <laughs> and it's 108 degrees. I well, I, yeah, I said that. Yeah, you last just, night I wasn't. Kyle, yeah. Kyle's like, hey, Eddie's here. And he's like, uh, just have him wait outside in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, what? It's good for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, well, I got home yesterday and I was trying to explain to uh, my oldest son, who's in the academy now. Yeah, you know, I, I can control whether I sweat or not. You can't, you can't do it. No, no, you really can't. And so my, my son goes, you know, how do you do that? Just tell yourself it's not hot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it. He's oh, all okay. I Yeah. Just like that. But uh, no, it, it, it's funny. Those are the little things that you do to, you know, make it through the day. And, you know, you turn around and now you look at, you know, everyone at the department and I looked at the seniority list, all my academy mates are gone. Um, my recruits are now getting promoted as sergeant. FTOs now are my lieutenants. In fact, my current traffic lieutenant it was an FTO for me. Wow. And so it's cool to kind of watch this. And it's kind of like I have a, uh, a, a front row seat at the table. I see this stuff. I, ha- I have the tenure. I'm, I'm still in it, but I don't have to really do the work that I was doing for like the last, you know, 13 years working the east side, all three shifts, both sides of the week, every holidays, recruits, you know, yeah. nonstop that whole time. And now I'm just, now I'm just kind of chilling and doing the thing. I still show up on the bike, you know, I'll do my thing, but, uh, it, it's nice. This is the breather in my career. This is where now I can spread. I'd say you've earned it. Spread yeah. it. Yeah. It's a breath of fresh air to have you here. You can ride in with your LMC. Yeah, I am good. Cool. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm going to give this the day shift, day shift. This what, is, what, oh, are, what are some other motor jokes? I, I've only heard one funny one. The tire's only flat on the bottom. Like what are some other funny motor jokes? Uh, God, come on! What Everyone says it to you. I don't think you can ask a motor guy that. I, yeah, I think they get I offended. I, I don't. Are, are we supposed to make jokes about you? I yeah, think that's, I think that's, that's how generally works. what. It, I you thought maybe because we knew you, we'd get some more insight from it. Well, I I, I, I do know this. So I, uh, this is my second tour in motors, and nothing's changed. Uh, my lieutenant just came in. Never, he was traffic investigations. He was never in motors. And I said, you've probably figured this out that motor cops are kind of a strange, yeah, strange group. Very eclectic. You know, uh, they, they, they have a soft spot in my heart because it's really hard to, to pass. And then once you pass, now you're out there every day in the heat, the cold. Yeah, um, there's nothing yeah. fun about it to me. No, like, no, it sucks. I it like really except for riding a wheelie <laughs> in the sunset like yeah. Tom Cruise, man. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love riding motorcycles, but I, when I, <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're out there when it's scorching hot. It ain't like you're out there just joyriding. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. stop and go constantly. When Every it's contact is terrible. Everyone's mad at you. Oh, God. It's, yeah. it, but, you know, in the end, what, what, uh, what it's about is I, and I, I took on this team that they didn't know who I was. They heard, the rep, they heard my reputation. And I said, hey, I'm not here to, you know, uh, run you into the ground or anything like that. If you can do a regular qual and you're good with it, just qual. Don't struggle. If you struggle, we'll, we'll work on that. But uh, if you want to reach the next level, come see me, right? And so a few, few months go by. And then uh, they're like, hey, you know, we know you do these motor competitions, you know. And, uh, yeah. 
You know, do you think we can do uh, Fairfield? Yeah, sure. All right. You know, do you just want to do it or do you want to win? Do you want to try and win your, your class? Well, you know, we want to do as best we can. So, okay, cool. So you just kind of get some buy-in on that. And so I didn't have, they thought I was going to force it down their throats. This other, this, these guys, yeah. whoever adheres to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for me, it's kind of like, hey, do your, do your thing. There's the standard, but, uh, you know, how you influence behavior, for example, uh, I still wear the tall boots. I wear the britches. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I wear a different uniform. Those tight pants. Yeah. Tight pants. Got to yeah. have tight pants. Yeah, John course. and Posh. Yeah. But uh, you, you, you need that flexibility in them. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So if you get the right ones, you got five-way stretch. So um, anyway, so so you do it every day. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about yeah. that. I'm like, one, two. <laughs> yeah. So 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 you dress a certain way. You do you, you sweat, the, sweat the big things, not the little things. And then everything just kind of coalesces around it, right? So next thing you know, everyone's wearing the tall boots and a new uniform every day because they want to know, well, the reason they don't want to wear class A is it fades out pretty quick, which it does. So I change out every day. It's a four day work week. I wear one uniform on Monday and it sees daylight four Mondays a month. That's it. That's how you get longevity. Yeah. If if you got, don't be a cheap bastard. You go buy your stuff, right? You got to buy it up front. And and so they start doing these things with you. And so I kind of talked to Scott Savage about that, you know, because we're talking about this, we're talking about this leadership class that we want to put together, not not the post eighty hour thing. Yeah. Where you, where, well, no, this is like class, yeah, real, real class. Well, like what this, I was yeah. gonna say is what you're talking about is leadership. That right. is that's right. what leadership is. Yeah. So these are these little conversations that we have, and so I'm like, yeah, you know, um, you know, so uh, Cinco de Mayo, we're out there, and you know, uh, I'm kind of old school, so I still have the I use a leather jacket, but of course, you know, the last time I wore my leather jacket was 1998, so I was 160 pounds with a you know 29 inch waist and. A little bigger now. I was kind of tight. But uh, so I found a old school company down in San Diego that actually still makes jacket that I like. So I got it. And my guy saw it on Cinco de Mayo as we were wrapping up. And one one of the crustiest guys that would basically (laughs) wear the sack goes, goes, hey, Sarge, uh, where'd you get that jacket? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So I sent him a link, and they asked how much, and how do you do it. And next thing you know, my whole team's got the jacket. No shit. That's they, like cool. out of the, Yeah, their own money. And, and now uh, that guy came back from vacation for, I think he was gone for three weeks. We had training yesterday, and, like, he shows up. I didn't have to tell him shit. He shows up by himself because he wants to get better. So it's just, just these little things that we do on a daily basis yeah. that contribute to something big like, you know, the active shooter, right? So I do the small things for that. So it's just, just little leader. things. Yeah, it's just natural leadership, I guess, to try and – put something together like that where if we've known those leaders, supervisors that like they hit every class, they do all these things, they, they, they take every test, um, yet somehow they seem to miss the mark. Not that they're doing the wrong things, but it's almost like they're trying too hard. Yeah, oh yeah, there's definitely those people that I don't think they feel confident. I think it's a confidence thing. Yeah. They, they know they're not confident, and so then they project, they're projecting that, and then they have to compensate by trying too hard. Right. It just doesn't flow, it just doesn't, it's just not natural. So to try and catch something like that before it gets there and to, to get the mid-career person that's, you know, maybe wants to be a corporal or a sergeant on the list or maybe they are a sergeant, can be a lieutenant, to have something like that, these are discussions that um, we all talk about on the line. Like, hey, why can't they just do that? And, and yeah, there's some things that they might know that we don't or some things that they might uh, be concerned about that uh, concerns their boss and not necessarily us. But, you know, to be able to do these little things and then get um, – I hate the word compliance. But basically, they, I had a Marine captain. I was in the Marine Corps. I had this captain. He never had to tell me what to do. I knew what he needed, and I did it. Yeah. And, then, and then I did it to the best of my ability. And then I would do a little more. Uh, not to Brownos, but, like, we loved this guy. We didn't want – this guy did not have to wear his rank at all. I mean, he was a very, very beloved uh, man. And I went, wow, how do you – I know the Marine Corps didn't build that. The Marine Corps has its way of, of building leaders. But that was very different to me. So I, I'm like, well, that, if I could strive to be that guy, right? So I, when I was getting ready to get out, I thought I'd sit down with him and, and I said, hey, captain, you know. And this guy had been a captain for a long time, too. So he, he should have been a lieutenant colonel. Yeah. And uh, probably because of how he was, he wasn't part of the, the club, I guess. He wasn't infantry. Yeah. Uh, there was no Marsoc back <laughs> then, but he didn't wear recon wings. You know, he was, he was uh, we called them uh, fallen angels. He went to flight school, didn't make it. <laughs> and... Boom, he's in an anti-aircraft missile battalion command. Wow. So uh, what, he, what he did have going for him is he had 300 guys that were willing to jump in front of a bullet for him, right? And I'm like, hey, how did, you, how did you get that? So the advice he said was this, hey, you know, I mean, pretty much the person you are is going to be done by the time you're five. Now, whether, what changes you want to make, that, 
takes place between 5 and 15. So everything you're seeing is kind of what I figured out, delivering papers, bagging groceries, and going to school. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and that, that was it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you, yeah, be nice to the lady, you know, the old lady, carry groceries out. You know, be, try and take on what you can from people that know more, the teachers. Be punctual, you know, don't be tardy. You know, all these little lessons. Um, he goes, that's who made me who I am. Yeah, I, I, I occupy the spot because I thought it'd be cool to fly Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't work out cool. for me. But I did tell him, hey, yeah. you're, you're an inspiration because this, and, and that was, we're talking 1988, 89, you know, and I, I talk, I remember that conversation vividly. So, you know, that kind of impact that someone can have, they may not be in an assignment that they want. Like, I wanted to go to Motors. So the VTA thing, like, I got passed over for Motors um, for someone uh, that had been a sergeant a fraction of the time. And so here I am running upstairs. So one of the thoughts in my mind was those ungrateful <laughs> MFers. You know, MFers, man. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But, you know, when I look back at everything, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think the leadership thing, what you're describing, comes down to what that I think is experience. Comes down to how much experience I think do you have in this job, and yeah, and the confidence piece of it's huge. So, dude, uh, that's uh, well, it's a hell of a story. The the active shooter story, and then what you're doing for Savage Training Group is awesome. I am I'm grateful that guys like you are able to continue to teach the young guys. We still learn from guys like you. Uh, you know, I've been a cop for 16 years and I, and I still love talking to guys that have been doing it for a long time because I, I still learn a lot. So thank you for that. Thank you for being oh, here. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Great. Th- thanks for uh, taking the trip down here to do this. <clears throat> a lot of value out of it. Um, just to circle back real quick for everybody on the ICS stuff. I would take that stuff very serious. If you haven't dabbled into it, or if you, this is the first time you're ever hearing about it, I would look into it even on a patrol level as a patrol cop. You have to know that stuff. So look into it. Um, Mark, please don't wear the same shirt as me next time. This well, is the third time. In I realize that, happened. but the three of us color coordinated. We all kind of have the he same. He has gray, and, but like you keep showing up. We keep showing up wearing the same color shirt, and it's just getting weird at this point. Romance going yeah. on. Here. Yeah, I don't know. It's just... Anyway, <laughs> just... <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you. We'll catch you on the next one. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, Eddie Chan. Thank you.